This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Yo! I changed up my intro. You like that? I just changed up my intro just ever so slightly. Listen, if you've been listening to IT Visionaries, you got to hear us interview some of the best and brightest minds in technology all year long. But you've never met my producer. And Jana, I want you to say hi to everybody. This is the first time you've ever, I think it, no one's ever heard from me, Jana. Welcome, welcome to the live mic of IT Visionaries. Hey, Albert, what's up? It's super cool to be here. I absolutely love IT Visionaries. Listen, Jana is the superpower behind the booking of IT Visionaries. She is the one communicating with all of our guests and she's helped us land some of the most exciting people in tech, as I mentioned before. You know, one of the things that we've never done before in the show, but I want to do this year is just talk about like our year in review. You know, a lot of companies or a lot of shows are doing their year in reviews right now. And we've had the fortune of having a bunch of guests on. You know, I've already selected my favorite guests of the year. Uh, and I hate to say favorite because it makes me sound like I prefer these people over other guests. But yes, that's exactly what I do. I did prefer these guests over the others. I'm sorry, I can't lie. But these people are doing either crazy things that I really think are going to transform the world, or they hit really innovative process that I think more companies would probably benefit from should they adopt. Jana, for yourself, when you think about the entire year, I guess what is memorable to you? What did you, what stories did you hear where you're like, oh, dang, I, I just firmly, I firmly remember this. I remember this very clearly. And it's because of this. Do you have any guests that we've had that uh, did that for you? Absolutely. I'll say actually one of my favorite episodes was an episode that we did with Pacific Clinics. I'm sure you remember the episode about Legends oh, yeah. of Low Code um, because that was a cool TV show that Salesforce did on their platform, Salesforce Plus. You can watch this whole competition TV show where um, these coders got on to try to solve some of these really interesting problems that Pacific Clinics has. And the work that they do to help people in California who maybe don't have access to healthcare without them. Oh, yeah. And the problems that they have that you kind of drilled into how they have all of these different systems and the records don't match and all of these problems that really Salesforce and the low code tools really solve for them. So I thought that was pretty cool. Listen, I love that episode mainly because of all the things you hit on and just the reality of most people in nonprofits, let's just put it out there, right? Most most nonprofits just simply they don't have the funds to hire top-notch engineers, top-notch uh, maybe technical talent because money is a it's a factor. I mean, money is a factor. I, I, I don't like that people try to dance around it. Like, yo, listen, a lot of you engineers, you know, some of the smart, some of the brightest, smartest people listening to this show would rather make a you know, a cat filter for somebody than to figure out how to, you know, identify cancer using AI. That's a fact. Like, you know what I mean? Like this is, this is what's going on right now. And so to see our guests like literally light up about the problems that were solved for them, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so shout out to Salesforce for doing that for them. You know, for me, I'm just going to go in reverse order. Uh, because what we've done is we took I took a bunch of guests that I really enjoyed. We're going to play clips from some of them. Of course, we'll link all of our favorite episodes in the show notes below. But I'll start in reverse order. So we're going to we're going to recap some of the people that came on more recently. And we're going to close with some of the people that came on later in the or earlier in the year. But I'm going to start with, you know, these are just some memorable guests I have. Um, 
let's start with David Heinemeyer Hansen. You know, I think everyone that works at Mission knows I, I wouldn't say idolize, but I really thoroughly agree with him. <laughs> that is the best way to say it is I thoroughly agree with him. You know, for myself personally, I agree that it shouldn't be crazy at work. I believe in making bets. I believe in trying new things, but I also believe that work exists for work, life exists for life, and those things don't need to mix. And so the fact that his company, 37 Signals, has engineered a solution that can serve over 100,000 customers with just 70, I think they recently leaked that they're now at 80 employees. It's a mind-boggling thing. And so for anyone who's out there thinking about what they want to do, I just find DHH to be extremely thoughtful, I guess is the best way to say it. He's extremely thoughtful in what he's doing. And uh, one of the things that he says is uh, fiercely independent. And I just love that. Just They made their company in the vision that they saw for themselves. And, and everyone out there, if you're not familiar with them, I'm sure you can look it up. But DHH is pretty famous. They created Ruby on Rails. This is a product that is used by billion-dollar companies. And it's for, he put it out there for free. So like to say this guy couldn't be even – like, yes, he could be substantially more wealthy – but like to hear him talk about his philosophy, I just, it struck me. It's it's always struck me as something that I respect. And so having him on a guest was really awesome. Jana, thanks for booking him. I also love when you talk to him about writing and how important of a skill that is for him as a technologist. So I thought that was maybe a fun nugget for others that maybe aren't as tech heavy. People like me who love the show um, can still gain some things. From, from learning from these leaders. Yeah, absolutely. So for those who are not familiar, 37 Signals was remote before remote work became even in vogue. Okay, they've been, they've been remote forever. And so how do you run a mostly engineering company remotely? And they figured it out long ago. They just gotta be more thoughtful. Like you gotta be more thoughtful. And he says, you know, they say clear writing is clear thinking. So again, this is someone I admire and this is someone I respect a great deal. Um, do I idolize him? No, I don't have any pictures of him anywhere. Okay, sorry. So I don't have any. <laughs> I don't I don't pray to the DHH temple. But I do find that the things he says I very much so align with. So it's it's nice, in my opinion, to have, let's say, uh, you know, I've I've heard this. I say this to my son actually, is like, hey, listen, you if you wanna look up to somebody, you need to look up to somebody who's doing something. And you need to look up to how they did it, not where they are, because it's easy to say you want to be like somebody else. But if you're not willing to do what that person did to get there, then you're not really looking up to them, right? You're just looking up to the outcomes. So I just like DHH because of the way they've done things. And of course, he's very, he's a successful guy. You know, one of the other things, you know, as I look back on our year, you know, this, this was in the news recently, you know, Mark Nelson of Tableau. Tableau is of course a Salesforce company. So I'm going to shout out his story that he had on our, you know, he had on IT visionaries. One of the things that he said that I just remember was his use case of how visualization of data will transform the way you analyze and identify problems. And I've long heard this from different people and I'm like, uh, I don't know, cause I'm pretty good at reading spreadsheets. But he said an interesting example. He mentioned the Seattle Seahawks, you know, they, whether you like the team or not, he had a use case of they noticed a lot of customers were complaining about the Wi-Fi connectivity. Now, you wouldn't think it's a problem of a professional, uh, professional sports team or a stadium, but it is because that's part of the fan experience. And 
a stadium is a massive piece of infrastructure to supply Wi-Fi for that many people is massive expense. The amount of miles of lines that have to be run through the building to do that is substantial. And they were saying that so many people were complaining about it and they couldn't figure out why they were actually going to rewire the whole stadium until they pumped all the data into Tableau. And they realized it's actually all the problems are just from a couple areas. And so that that just that one little exercise, it basically heat mapped for those of you that didn't listen to the episode. They just heat mapped where are the complaints coming from and where do these people sit? And it became clearly obvious that they just had weak spots. So they fixed the weak spots and didn't re-network the whole thing. So literally saving, you know, at least $4 million. Yeah. That was an incredible. That that was a bananas example. Real life, how tech is saving people money. Yeah, I know. I love that. What about uh, what about Mahesh over at Kajabi? I know that was a favorite of yours. Let's uh, dive into oh, yeah. a little bit. So Mahesh Guruswamy was is the CTO of Kajabi, and he got to join us on ITV. And he's doing something which I predicted in our um, I don't even know what episode we're calling that, but we did a we did a year end review with all the hosts of Mission, and I think Mahesh's product Kajabi. I know he didn't create the product, but what they are going to do at Kajabi is going to be a big thing in the next two years. So on that show, I talked about right now, I think everyone knows the economy is uncertain at best is the way I've been describing it on multiple episodes. There's going to be, we already see there's massive layoffs across many companies and industries. That's a fact that's happening, right? Can't deny it. But what happened in 2008 when the housing recession occurred was was the rise of e-commerce. And what happened was individuals who lost their jobs were now able to start e-commerce stores because they could sell maybe some products and goods they made. It's also the rise of Etsy. Etsy started growing really at a much quicker pace in 2008. Uh, So you're talking about people making crafts or goods and objects and selling them. Well, what's going to happen next is knowledge. And Kajabi sells helps creators monetize their knowledge. And hearing Mahesh come on the show and talk about what he wanted to bring from his time at AWS, the engineering skills that they brought forward. And you guys, I'm going to straight up tell you, it's pretty boring. Most people want to hear, oh, was it a feature that did it? Was it this like you implemented this chat AI that got it done? Yo, I got bad news for everybody. Infrastructure was what he bet on first. Speed is key. So uh, you know, despite what everyone always wants to say, hey, this is the, uh, these are the features. He's like, yo, we just made it really fast. <laughs> we made it extremely fast, extremely usable, kind of not interesting, but that's how it works. And he learned that at AWS, which is uh, they focused on infrastructure first, scalability second, everything else comes third. Because once it's fast, reliable, secure, and scalable, you can test anything on it. And so that was pretty cool having him on the show. Uh, and as you know, Jana, I have I took a leap of faith in that episode. He started talking about Kajabi. I was like, I'm going to build a course on Kajabi right now. And I have. I, so I have my own uh, real estate investing course that I set up. Jana, you actually got a chance to look at some of the material. Uh, you, you got I'm going to tell you right now. It was pretty easy to do. <laughs> that's amazing. And I think that's so cool. I First of all, that's a great foundational principle, right? That you're talking about that he really harped on yeah. in that episode. But yeah, just the fact that you got to use this, you got to make some other fun, cool videos about a different topic. I really loved the way that this whole project ended up. And uh, yeah, thanks to, thanks to Mahesh and Kajabi for coming on the show. That was awesome. 
That's right. So if you're not familiar, everybody, Kajabi's an all-in-one platform so you can help build, bring education to life. I have now used it. So uh, you'll hear this often on this show. I meet the guests. If they have a product that I can use, I will try to use it. Uh, so I've now implemented Kajabi. Uh, have not made a sale yet, but that's not Kajabi's fault. <laughs> <laughs> we don't fault that's, that's that's not Kajabi's fault. Uh, <laughs> but I, yeah, my sales to date zero, dog zero. So, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> we got other problems. Long game, baby. I'm playing the long game. I'm playing the long game. Okay, right. it's only been live since uh, <laughs> the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday. So, All right. yeah, it hasn't been live that long. Hey, and, and by the way. So this is something I learned from my friends in the fitness industry or the in the fitness industry as well as life transformation. This is a little off topic, but I'll share this. Most people really start to think about changing their lives and what they're going to do in the next year, the day after Christmas. So I can see why maybe like it's December. Are you really thinking about you know learning how to invest in real estate right now? Maybe not, but like maybe by come Christmas, you might yep. be sitting there like, oh, I'm depressed. Like I'm really sad. <laughs> I need more money. My, my friend Big Al is so much more successful than me. How does he do it? It's because I have offsetting income with real estate. And I'll tell you how I did it. That's right. And you have a course on how to do it on Kajabi. Everyone go check it out. Yeah, I'll teach you how to do it. Jana, just for you, $100 lifetime. <laughs> All right. Instead of $100 a year, $100 lifetime for you. I'm in. Deal done. You better be. I'll refund you too. <laughs> Well, you know, Albert, one of my favorite things about IT visionaries is that we talk to people at startups and smaller companies like Kajabi, but we also talk to people about really big work at really big companies like WPP. Let's talk about this interview. All right. Listen, Stefan Pretorius is the CTO of WPP. For those who are not familiar, WPP is the biggest, it's long thought of as advertising, but biggest advertising agency holding company. WPP is like a, a roll-up of many, many, many advertising marketing agencies. But he let, um, let us know an interesting nugget, and he revealed that only three, that three-fourths of the billings that they do are for technology. And I thought that was shocking. You know, if you think about it, I mean, technology is really pervasive in, in, all, in all business these days, right? So, I mean, whether you're running an accounting firm or whether you're running, you know, a creative agency, technology is everywhere in what we do. It's, you know, it's how we communicate with each other. It's how we understand, you know, and run our, our businesses and optimize our businesses. We use technology to develop products that we help, that we use to service our clients. And then, of course, all our clients are working in this incredibly technology-mediated world where their consumers are engaging with them through technology, whether it's social media, whether it's you know, e-commerce, whether it's direct-to-consumer messaging, email marketing, et cetera. These are all you know, technologies that, that, that brands use to, get, to engage with consumers um, with. And so I think the, the, the sort of notion that, that, that agencies today produce advertising is, is, is very wrong. Effectively, very, a very small percentage of what we do is actually advertising. Um, we do an enormous amount of what we call customer experience work. And customer experience is really everything from how a consumer experiences the brand in retail, you know, in a store, all the way through to how they experience the brand in an e-commerce website or encounter it on Amazon, or effectively when they search for it in, in Google. So we've, over the last kind of 10, 15 years, expanded the scope of what we do radically because of the way that consumers are using technology to engage with brands. Um, and then it's really an absolutely fascinating field. I mean, I don't think there's a, there's a day since I've joined this industry that I haven't learned something and that I haven't expanded my own frontiers about thinking how to apply technology to, to this practice. 
you know, when I hear Stefan talk about that and how all these brands are trying to do things that have never been done before because they're trying to reach consumers in new ways, I just didn't realize it. You know what I mean? Like you think of an industry as a thing and you th- assume, like, I just assume they just buy ads. I just assume that they're making commercials, but no, they're not. They're actually creating technology to support this stuff. Uh, we've had other guests and from other shows talk about how like everyone wants shoppable TV and why is there no shoppable TV yet? Because, you know, when I watch TV, I need nothing I can shop for on it, but that's because it's not been created yet. And so you would think this is being created by maybe the TV manufacturers or the technology companies, but they're not, they're being made by the advertising agency. And then that was a mind blowing thought that I just didn't really think about. I'm, I mean, I've never I literally never thought of that that was happening. Um, which is weird because I'm a co-owner in an advertising agency <laughs> and people only ask us to advertise <laughs> like straight up, like no one else is to make engineer anything. Maybe that's why we suck. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but hearing that was mind blowing. So if anyone's not familiar, go look it up. WPP is a publicly traded company. It is based HQ in the UK. Um, according to, the financial reports it does 12.8 billion pounds a year which is you know somewhere like 15 million us dollars uh, 15 billion excuse me b b billion yeah. uh, us dollars a year so 75% of that is to create new technology which is crazy yeah and one of the other things that he mentioned in that interview a little bit later was he just talked about deep fakes and i think just as a consumer we hear about deep fakes in the news as a negative thing but it was a really cool to listen to him explain the benefits of how that's being used in advertising again to reduce costs increase efficiency and be able to use you know voices and images with permission of people that don't necessarily have time to do a hundred different ad reads. You know, that's the power that this technology is going to, is already bringing to advertising today. So it was cool yeah. to hear him talk about that. It's going to gra- greatly lower the cost of production. He, he used an example, which WPP did not do, but he gave the example of what happened making the Mandalorian, which was occurring during, you know, the pandemic. So COVID shut down, like you're not allowed to travel. You're not allowed to go do a lot of different things. Um, and he explained how to do the desert scenes of the Mandalorian. They just sent a couple camera guys to the desert versus like sending an entire crew, moving the whole production to uh, the desert and like all the desert scenes that they need. Just a handful of guys were able to capture all that imagery, bring it back. And he was explaining that it was like a wrap around screen. So we're not even talking about a green screen, like the thing wrapped around to make an immersive desert experience for many, many people. And technology has gotten to the point where people are none the wiser. Like, like, well, this was not actually filmed in the desert. I think most people would not know that. Yeah. And most people talk about how great that whole series looks. So it did yeah. the technology. Yeah. It was in no, not noticeable. Yeah. No, that was cool. By the way, have you ever been on a movie set, Jenna? I actually have not. Have you? Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. It sucks. If you don't like waiting, you will hate. Like, I hate waiting. Yeah. You will hate a movie set. 90% of your time is people setting stuff up. Wow. Like, that's why the actors have such nice trailers. It's like the grip people and the lighting people, and they're setting things up. And like, you know, for example... I'm six foot tall. So imagine the act like 
you have a, I would have a stand-in actor. So imagine I'm a stand-in actor. Your job is literally to stand on a cue, like a little piece of pink tape <laughs> for like an hour while they like light it. And cause they want to make sure the shadows are right and all this other stuff. It's like, well, they don't want a five foot eight stand in because you know, the shadows would be longer when the actor gets there. Yeah. So like the rock stunt double would be standing there for like straight up like an hour they come out and read a couple lines. That's cut. And they move to the next scene. They like start shuffling stuff. Like so much waiting. I'm totally off topic, but I'm telling you right now, actors deserve what they get paid. <laughs> job, uh, to me, it just sucks. It really Bad sucks. Like, There's like so much time waiting. Yeah. And then they have to come in all hot with the right energy. I know. It's incredible. Oh, listen, listen, listen. My, my, my buddy, who's a director of photography, and he worked on Martin Scorsese's latest movie. Wow. Um, it's not out yet. Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio are in it. But there's a scene he talked about where um, there's a person found dead in the river. Okay. Did you know that they did not use a, a dummy nor the stunt double? They had the actress stay in the river like head like floating pretending that she's dead and it took hours oh. that scene shooting that scene lasted hours so that you know they get get her up like it give her breaks but get back in the water and pretend you're dead <laughs> like, that's not a good deal at work. <laughs> it, sucks. it sucks it sucks oh my god it's it's so bad it's it's not for me how about that if you if you like waiting around me check out hollywood but otherwise it's not that fun uh but you know the other thing that's fun about our show is the diversity of guests and you know i'm on a fun subject right now and i want to bring up someone who was funny to me because i have like a dark sense of humor and she does as well even though she's doing serious things so Carrie Subut is the CEO of Simple Health, and they're trying to improve women's health specifically, which I thought was pretty cool. And she came on our show talking about recognizing talent and in inside of diversity. So she herself, and she says it, which was awesome. She talks about being, she told, she called herself the unicorn. She says, I'm black, I'm a woman, and I'm handicapped. I'm like, I, I got the trifecta. Nobody has more diversity than me. And it was the most, uh, I would say it disarmed me a little bit because I was like, I'm not expecting her to react that way. But like her talking about finding talent in different communities was awesome because it's something that's long, you know, I think we all know is long overlooked. Yeah. Let's hear from Carrie. Have you always, you know, prior to your career beginning, have you always aligned yourself to health, wellness, and fitness? We saw a couple different articles that cite you or you've been featured in where you talk about personal health and like working out exercise nutrition is a big part of your life or a philosophy have you always been interested in these subjects or did this not occur till you till you got older no absolutely not i um started off my career in investment banking then i went to you alluded to before that i went to stanford got my mba and then i went to american express and um all the time my disease started to progress. So mm. when I was little and I got sick, again, like when you're little, you're such a badass until you grow up. But when <laughs> I got sick, I couldn't ride with my right hand. So I retaught myself to, to ride with my left hand. Wow. And then the disease progressed. And by the time I was 30, it was in both legs. And, you know, in business school it was fine because I had a handicap sticker and everyone, your tribe really is who you are. And so my tribe was always like, we want to drive a carry. She's VIP. She gets a special <laughs> permit. But they never made me feel like, you know, anything was wrong. And then um, when I got to New York and, you know, New York is a lot of walking. And one day I woke up and I was like, I need a wheelchair. And so my neurologist was always like, Carrie, 
you should transbrain surgery. You should transbrain surgery. My sister also has the disease, so it's genetic. But mm. she'd had it, and she, but she'd end up having multiple brain surgeries. So I'm like, no, can't do that to my parents. It's it's a lot for parents. You know, you said you have two kids. I mean, imagine my parents have two disabled kids. And um, but one day I walked in, and I was like, I'm done. Can we schedule the surgery? And he was like, Are you okay? And I was like, Yeah. He was like. Like, you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, can we do it next week? He's like, Carrie, come on. You can't just schedule brain surgery a week a week in advance. But literally three weeks later, we had it. And part of it, it's called deep brain stimulation. And part of it is zero awake for eight hours. Holy so how I, got into, how I got into health and wellness is you start talking a lot to the nurses, the doctors. They get bored of you talking next thing you know, you're talking to God. So I said, I said to God, I said to the universe, I said, let me be clear here with you. There's two things I want to do out of this. I want to run a 10K and I will dedicate myself to health and wellness. So eight weeks later, I um, was walking between 5th and 6th Avenue. For those of you who are listening and don't know, it's the longest block in New York City. And what would take me 45 minutes took 15. And I just got to the end of that corner and I started crying. Needless to say, five months after I left my job at AMX and I started off my career in health and wellness, and you, you named all the late brands I worked with. But in 2019, I was in Canada, and I was working for a company called Medkin, where I was running the Eat, Move, Think portfolio. So I do believe everything sort of relates to you. So it's what you do, how you move, how you think. Mm-hmm. And then digital health sort of, sort of rise up a little bit, I think it was 20, 2018. And so I was like, you know what, what am I doing in Canada? It's too cold. And I came home and I started looking for how I can get into digital health. Needless to say, here's where here I'm here today. And for those of you listening who want to hear about the end of the story, not only did I run a 10K, but because I, I think this is the best part, I ended up running um, 13 half marathons and two full marathons. I've thus retired though. Wow. However, um, you know, I've been truly blessed. I think I'm a miracle every day. And so, um, that's how I got into health and wellness. It's a long story. I think it's a fun story, though. I think it's worth telling. But for eight hours, you start making a lot of deals with the universe. I just love everything that Simple Health is doing. The work that Carrie is doing for women's health in revolutionizing the healthcare industry here with, with Simple Health. I mean, we now more than ever, uh, we really need that. So, yeah, all the power to Carrie and, and her team at Simple Health. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, we're running, you know, we're running long a little bit on this show, but I'm just going to give a couple shout outs to a couple different people that have been on the show. Again, these are some of my favorite episodes. They're all going to be linked up in the show notes. But Yaron Lavi, the CTO at Deal, he talks about, if you're not familiar, Deal is making it much easier to hire international workers. Like that's their primary focus. But listen to him talk about recruiting. He talks about how he does his recruiting and he meets with people in less than 20 minutes insane. And they're hiring at an insane clip. So listen to Yaron talk about his ability to recruit. Uh, Gina Rahig, she's the CIO at Zayo Group. Zayo Group, if you don't know, is the internet. Uh, It powers the internet. I mean, it's not the only internet, but it pretty much powers the internet. So it's data centers, infrastructure, lines, cable, you know, that kind of stuff. Stuff that's not exciting, stuff that's not doesn't get the headline news no one really cares about, yet everybody uses it. So 100% of customers use the internet nowadays, last time I checked. Okay, it's basically impossible to build a tech company without it. 
but listen to Gina talk about it. And I thought it was pretty cool. We got to ask her if her kids thought she was cool and a big deal. And that was a pretty funny moment in time. Hey, it's the important questions that we answer here on IT Visionaries. <laughs> listen, I always like trying to get to people, to get to know people a little bit better. So I asked her straight out, I was like, man, you, you sound like a big deal. Do your, does, do your kids know you're a big deal? And she's like, no. <laughs> we also had Miles Ward. He's the CTO of SATA. They specialize in um, GCP. But what's interesting about Miles is he scaled up the Google team and he scaled up the SATA team. So if you're talking about scaling engineers, tackling big projects, working on, I mean, he even helped us get insight into statements of work, how they issued statements of work and what kind of projects they tackled early on and how they scaled it. It's pretty fascinating because most technologists maybe don't think that way where it's like, hey, actually you're looking for a certain type of work over and over again. That's how you're going to scale versus like, oh, I'm going to do anything and everything people want to pay for. So he was really fascinating to talk to. We had Andrew Feldman on the show from Cerebras. They're building effectively bigger chips. I mean, it's so simple to say, hard to do, but effectively the amount of AI compute processing, machine learning processing that's needed today, the current modern computer chips straight up cannot handle it. So they are building bigger chips. Now you might think, oh, if it's a bigger chip, like why is that even technologically advanced? Listen to this episode and talk about all the patents that they have now about packing in transistors and how much compute these chips have. My favorite part of the show is when he held up a Cerebras chip and it was like bigger than, it looked like a plate, like it was as big as his head. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like this big and it covered his whole face. And he was like, this is how bigger chip is. And I was like, okay, but dog, what motherboard or computer can hold that? Like, well, we had to make those too. And so you can see computers fundamentally are going to change shapes. Like, like that's what's happening, right? You know, when you see pictures of servers inside of, you know, racks in data centers, they're all the same shape and size. Well, they don't fit a Cerebras chip. Like one chip is bigger than the thing. <laughs> so, so that's going to change. That's pretty exciting stuff. He had just great things to say about leadership as well. And the way that he's approached leading this company and leading his teams through all of these new developments and trying things out. So if you're a leader, you want to be a good leader, definitely listen to Andrew. Yeah. And it's also a little bit different than some of our other guests because he's building hardware, right? So he's building compute and hardware. He's not building a software program. So, I mean, although he is on top of that, he has to physically figure out a new way to make chips. And uh, it was pretty fascinating to have him on the show. We had Shanae Levin. She's one of the, she's been named as one of the people to watch in tech. She's the co-founder of Code C. The way she was talking about building the way code is written, I can see 100% that's going to be a game changer if she can figure it out where it actually, it's like a Microsoft for those who have used Microsoft Excel, which is everybody, um, you know, when you type in a formula and it highlights all the cells that you're now referencing, she's talking about doing that kind of bringing that kind of technology to code writing. I can't tell you how beneficial that's going to be because especially to novice code writers, because when you start, it's like you're always having to reference something else and like you can forget like where it is, where it was, what you're talking about. She talked about how doing code reviews is going to fundamentally change. So give that episode a check out. And I'm going to close the year with the person I'm most hopeful for. So Ina Braverman, she's the co-founder and CEO of a company called Eco Wave Power. And I personally am a, you know, you can call me crunchy. I don't care, but I'm an environmentalist. I do think that the earth is worth saving. So sorry, my bad. You know, I didn't mean to do that. But Ina Braverman and her company has believes that they have figured out how to generate or harness the energy from ocean waves. Now this has been done for a long time or hypothesized for a long time. 
And how it's traditionally been hypothesized is you got to be out to sea. And you got to be out to sea so that you can then build these huge, effectively hydraulics, if you think about it, or like these pumps that could move up and down with the waves to create energy. She's doing it a different way. Uh, it looks like, I don't even know how to describe it. It looks like the legs of a caterpillar on a brake wall or a jetty and how they can be folded up and put down. It's already been installed in Gibraltar. It's being installed. There's a big order of it in another area in Spain, I believe. Yes. And, and Los Angeles. Yes. And I'm the most hopeful for this technology because this is the kind of thing that can change the world. If you're talking, if she's right, if she's right and this works, could you see these things lined up on jetties everywhere? Could you see these things lined up on breakwater uh, walls everywhere? If that could generate harness energy and provide it to the world, you're talking about endless supplies of clean energy. There's been a couple guests on our shows that have talked about like for a long time, environmentalism has long been in like the conservation mode where it's like, hey, you need to do less. I mean, I agree with a lot of our guests. It's been 30 plus years. Uh, I've been hearing this message since I was a kid. People ain't doing less. It's just not going to happen. People, people don't believe in less. We believe in more. So the fact that there's a bunch, there's a new wave of engineers that are thinking about how to generate more electricity, more clean electricity, move more electricity. I think that's exciting to hear. Um, coming up next season, Jana, you know who we got to get? Who? We're going to put a call out right now. I'm going to call out my boy, Boylan Slat. We need you on the show. Boylan Slat is the CEO or co-founder of the Ocean Cleanup Project. He's building all these interceptor machines that are like capturing river trash. At first, it started off that it was going to capture, you know, the Great Garbage Patch in the middle of the Pacific. He originally had this idea that you could capture all the trash in the middle of the sea. But then he's like, I mean, it was really hard to do. Like, let's just get around it. It was really hard to do. It wasn't working as good as he wanted to. But now they have the river interceptors. And the reality is 90 plus percent of the sea's trash is actually emitted from just a handful of the rivers. Yes, I actually know this. And so now that problem becomes much more solvable. Yeah, yeah. You look at those reports and you're like, oh my gosh, it's actually yeah, all the rivers. You're 100% right. And just back to Ina real quick. I think one of the other things that really struck me about this episode was just how she got started. And that kind of leans into this clip that we're going to play of her is that she was not a technologist. Yeah. She wasn't even working in the industry. She wasn't even that a real aware about sustainability efforts. And then the minute she finds out about, oh, solar power, wind power, and then she's like, what about wave power? Well, what does she do? She she comes up with this and she starts this company. And I just love that action. And her just whole life story is so cool. I also like the fact that she met some random, I'm going to call him random, random surfer guy that just happened to have a lot of money. Pitch this guy like, this is my idea. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll invest. <laughs> Sounds good. Power to Ina and EcoWave Power. Wave energy was something that all the scientists, all the engineers in the world were saying, like, it's an immense source. It can provide twice the amount of electricity that the world produces now. Yet, no matter how much money was invested and how much like efforts were invested by the largest companies in the world, nobody was able to commercialize wave energy. So, you know, again, I was an immigrant. No money, no contact, nothing. I said, okay, I have nothing that you need to have in order to have a successful business, but I want to do it. And uh, I started really researching a lot, uh, day and night, and seeing like where other companies, what did they do wrong? Like, why did they break down? Why did they fail? Like, like what happened there? 
And I really found out that the main problems are the five problems that I presented to you in the beginning uh, of our discussion. Yeah. So I thought about an idea that can kind of solve these problems, but I'm not an engineer. So I couldn't make the idea into reality. And again, money I didn't have, so I couldn't even register a patent for my idea, which wasn't like uh, the best beginning of a business. <laughs> so I kind of put the idea aside as unrealistic. And then uh, one day I went uh, to a social event and uh, a guy came and sat next to me. He looked a bit like a hippie, you know, torn jeans and a lot of like bracelets on his hand, you know, the strings, bracelets. And uh, he sat next to me and he just said, like, what's your passion? It turned out that this guy that sat next to me and asked, asked this, he was a serial entrepreneur that did a number of successful exits in the past and invested a lot in real estate around the world. One of his in investments was a surf hotel in Panama. So he was sitting there at a completely different side of the world because it's not an Israeli citizen even. And he was seeing the power of the waves in this surf hotel. And he thought to himself, there must be something better that you can do with the power of the waves than marine sports. And when we met, you know, nobody really knew a lot about wave energy back then. It was 2011, 2010 when we met. So, and I told him that my passion is wave energy. And this was exactly something that he was working on and thinking about. It was like a match made in business heaven. And he ended up investing the first $1 million. And that was the beginning of EcoWave Power. Albert, this has been such a fun year on this show with IT Visionaries. I'm really excited for next year. We've already got so many cool shows lined up. We've got the Veterans Administration is going to be coming out this next year. Uh, we did a oh, really yeah. cool interview with Charles Worthington. Um, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, we look forward to doing more with uh, doing, you know, meeting more people, having better guests on. If you're interested in talking to me specifically and getting me, getting us guests, listen, you can find Jana on, I mean, Jana, what is your Twitter handle? Do you even have one? Well, hey, we have, we have a Twitter here. Let's uh, shout out IT Visionaries. It's at IT underscore Visionaries. And then we're on LinkedIn. And then you're on LinkedIn. Everyone hit up Albert Chu. And uh, please me, don't. <laughs> I'm on the Facebook. Jana Martin, we're here. We'd love to hear from you. So yeah, get in touch. Yeah, absolutely. We look forward to it. Thanks for joining, listening to us all year long. It was fun. We are over 2 million downloads. Let's keep going. Mm -hmm.